0: Hi everybody, welcome to The Resilient Self. We're here to talk about the human experience, mental health, wellness, relationships, and of course, how we bounce back when things don't go as planned. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome to The Resilient Self Podcast. I'm Chris Neal, here with you this week to talk about why change is so darn hard. Now you may remember in episode 1 we had a conversation about new year's resolutions and specifically we talked about how to build habits do that more effectively for sustained results. Uh, I'm also going to point you to an item on our book list. You can go to our website theresilientself.com. We maintain a book list there that anytime I, I make recommendations to you, you don't have to pull off to the side of the road or stop what you're doing you can just hit the website whenever that's convenient for you. And the book I want to point you to is one that's been getting a lot of attention lately. It's by James Clear, and it's a book called Atomic Habits. He's got some great ideas in there about how to to build uh, lasting change in your life, and so check that out if you're interested. Now, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why change can be difficult, and some of those are kind of covert. Uh, so I just want to go through some of those today. The first reason I think change can be hard is we can just have our own individual resistance to that, which can feel weird, because if we want to make the change, and yet there's something inside us that's pushing back on that, I think the first question to ask is, what's at stake in the changes that you're trying to make? You know, whenever we're going to do something new, I think there's a natural fear of failure. If we don't get that right, then it, it can just become a shame trigger. we talked about that in previous episodes. I think there can also be a fear of success. What does this mean for me if I actually do make the change that I'm talking about uh, making? Uh, Because I think there can be baggage there as well. If you'd like me to do a deeper dive into that someday, uh, let me know. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. But if you do want me to talk about that, just reach out through the website. And there's a ton of ways that you can reach out to me. And uh, if that's a topic you'd like me to explore, then please do let me know. When we are making personal change, it can lead us into the unknown, especially if they are big changes that can have an impact on our self-image, and just the unknown can be uncomfortable. It takes us out of our comfort zones. I had a mentor say to me one time, he was quoting someone else, but I don't remember who the quote was, who the origin was, but uh, the, the quote went something like, all growth requires us to mourn the loss of our former selves. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that, you know, when we're going to try to remake ourselves in some new image. And again, we've talked about that, too. That I don't think a new year means there needs to be a new you. But if you're wanting to make some kind of substantive change in some of the patterns in your life, then that does have implications for your identity, both uh, within yourself and, and possibly to others as well. There's a little mourning of that former self, how you got comfortable in that skin. And now, you, now you're trying to create some new new realities for yourself. I think also your personal change actually requires systemic change. None of us lives in a vacuum, right? Social systems have a homeostatic balance. You remember back in high school or junior high science class, they talked about homeostasis and the nature of systems to self-correct back to their primary state of being. Homeostasis is absolutely a thing when it comes to social systems. When you think of relationships, whether it's you and one person, and/or you as part of a group of friends, or a family, or co-workers, I want to encourage you to think of that as really a fairly complex system of negotiated agreements. You've agreed to occupy a certain role within that relationship. Now that's obviously going to look different in, say, a primary romantic relationship versus the uh, one you have at work, or I hope so anyway. (laughs) And um, uh, you're going to have different relationships with a group of three or four friends than you are with even one or two family members. That's all going to look different. We have different roles in each of those systems. And those relationships we have with people are co created, and whether we realize it or not, they're kind of negotiated. Uh, and sometimes we just negotiate by acting in a certain way and everyone confirming that in us, and then we uh, move forward down the road. And I would say, you know, the vast majority of the time that isn't talked about, it just happens very organically in a relationship. Remember that the more people that are involved in a social system the more complex the task is of really doing anything, but especially enacting change. Here, let me explain. If we're talking about a one-to-one relationship, we basically have one relational connection there. We have A to B or B to A, it's the same connection, right? So there's one layer of complexity to that, just person to person. Now, if you add a a third person into the mix, let's say uh, you have a friendship with someone, and then you bring on a third friend who's gonna kind of have a little trio of friends there. The number of connections in that arrangement immediately grows to six because, again, think of A, B, and C. You've got A to B, B to C, A to C, but then you have alliances that build A and B to C, A and C to B. And then whatever the one I forgot was, (laughs) but there's six. So we immediately go from a fairly simple exchange, a one-to-one, to six possible configurations of alliances and agreements that we come to in a relationship. So if you kind of work out that you're, hey, you're the funny one. Uh, in In the group of three or you 're the you 're the one who handles everyone else 's stuff or you 're the peacemaker, whatever it is uh, when when we take on those roles and those identities in those relational configurations it starts to get pretty complex. Now, when you add a fourth person, let's say you have two parents and two kids, uh, ABCD, the number grows to 24 connections. And I'm not going to go through all of those because <laughs> nobody wants to hear that. But if you sit down and do the math, it works. And so when we add complexity to a social system, we, when we add participants in that system, uh, what's really happening there is we are growing the complexity of that system exponentially. The ease of making personal change, of moving the bar of your own role within that system, it puts you negotiating that with a whole lot of other people. It's, it's a bigger challenge. So realize that personal change uh, may be a unilateral decision, but it definitely affects others in your life. Because in any system, in any group of people that you interact with, it changes the prior homeostatic balance. It requires others to renegotiate prior relational agreements. Sometimes they're not willing to do that or they're not comfortable with it. And then if others are unwilling, uh, again, another flashback to high school science, Newton's third law, every action is met with an equal and opposite reaction. If others are unwilling, Newton's third law absolutely applies to relationships. When one person acts on a situation, people tend to react and it tends to be a a concomitant uh, or equal reaction to that. Even if the other members of your your group are willing for you to renegotiate the deal, as it were, that change is hard for them as well. And um, as the saying goes, the only one who likes change is a wet baby. Friends, we hope you're enjoying all the content here at The Resilient Self. If you're wondering how you can support our work on the show, we've made it super easy. You can check out the show notes or head over to our website, theresilientself.com, And click on the link that says, Buy Me a Coffee. Now, you're not actually buying me a real cup of coffee, but through a one-time donation or an ongoing membership, you're helping with the development and production costs of the show. When you take this step, you're helping us bring the resilient self to others all over the world. So if you want to help us pay it forward, this is the easiest way. And please know that we deeply appreciate your support at any level. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, One example is in uh, families where there is uh, one person fighting addiction. What can happen in those families is um, all of the family drama, all of the family stuff, kind of revolves around the addict, uh, whether that person is clean or sober or not. If there uh, if there are consequences that are happening for them, that we all have to kind of be all hands on deck to manage that in some way, and so. The addict in a family, if there is only one, that can really be sort of a lightning rod for all family activity, and it also can kind of make that person a whipping child for every other problem in the family that's going on so it's it's not always a good thing, but it can definitely happen well, let's say that that person gets clean and they're really committed to it. Well, guess what now. Uh, the rest of the family is then left kind of renegotiating the deal because all of a sudden, if the person who was fighting addiction is no longer having all these consequences, they're they're living their life in a really productive, functional way. Then all of a sudden, they don't get to be, they don't have to be the whipping child for the other family drama that goes on. You can't blame them anymore. Now, and of course, every family is going to be different, but this is not an uncommon scenario. And so that's just one hypothetical example of how one person making what ultimately is positive change, they're getting clean, they're, they're, achieving that level of sustainability and functionality in their life, uh, but everyone else then has to, has to move with them. They have to see them in new ways. They, uh, you know, hopefully, what happens is everyone can kind of move to see this person as someone who, who really is thriving, and we support them in that. Um, but it is a change, make no mistake. Another example is uh, sometimes in, in friendships, uh, if one person's going through a hard time, maybe over a sustained period of time, um, it's easy for when we rely on our friends, it's easy for them to kind of start to become the expert on us. And so we rely on them to tell us what to do. They get really comfortable telling us what to do. And we just kind of, again, we, we negotiate that pattern. And then if we engage in healing, then that requires both of us to reimagine that a little bit. When your growth, in any scenario, when your growth upsets the comfort level of others in the relationship, they may often subconsciously, I would say usually subconsciously, try to pull you back into those previous roles. It's just what they're comfortable with, homeostatic balance. Uh, Another reason this can be uncomfortable for others is that it can highlight when they're not in a growth phase in their life. Don't be surprised. When what you view as positive change and personal growth can actually be met with criticism or maybe even outright hostility, because changing yourself changes your relationships. And again, what you view as positive, uh, constructive change, others may have a different viewpoint or and right right or wrong you know if maybe they draw assumptions and conclusions about where you're at and what's changing in you and even if they're wrong perception is reality if they perceive that there are now changes in your value system are you still going to be the peacemaker when you learn to set really great personal boundaries or two of your friends are fighting and instead of stepping in the middle and trying to solve everyone's problem for them when you then get into this place of solid boundaries and you say hey guys you're my friends i love you both Good luck. Work it out. Not my circus. Not my monkeys. Well, if they've always relied on you to do that for them, then that's that's a big change for everyone. That's not just you setting a boundary for yourself. That's you setting a boundary for other people. Now, for me, the question in any of these uh, issues that I, I talk about is, what do we do about it? I think it's it's all good and well to say, well, these are all the problems, but I think the real work is in figure out how do we how do we move forward. So in terms of the personal resistance part, um, I, think, I think self-compassion is key. Uh, I think um, you want to name the gorilla in the room and and just own own your stuff there. Own that when it's difficult, you want to lean into that discomfort. Now, there's this Teddy Roosevelt quote made much more famous by Brene Brown. I bet a lot of you know it, uh, but I'm going to read it for those who don't uh, just because I think it's powerful and um, and I want to. Uh, here's a quote. It's from the, the man in the arena. I think it was around 1910. Uh, I think he was in Paris. And the quote goes, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming Thousands of times probably, and it's just powerful for me every time uh, that you just – when you have personal resistance, when it's uncomfortable for you to make these changes but you know in your heart you still want to, I think it's important just to, to give it up to yourself for that and realize that by virtue of being in that arena, you're doing powerful, important things. And uh, so Brene Brown's work, you probably know her stuff well. If you're listening to this show, odds are you know Brene Brown. And if you don't, then hey, check her out. She's done some terrific work on shame and resilience and showing up. Now, uh, I do have some links to a lot of her materials on our book list at theresilientself.com, so you can check those out there if you don't want to have to go Google it all yourself. Um, I will say also, I don't have them linked, but I will now that I'm thinking about it. I'll, I'll, I'll make a note. She's got a couple TED Talks that are really great. I think Brene Brown is, is a terrific writer, but I think she's a truly gifted speaker, and so I, I love listening to her speak. She's terrific. Back into to Chris Land here, when, when we do personal work, I would argue we need to be intentional about rejecting the shame that can creep up in the process. You don't have to make yourself smaller for others. I, I really believe that self-compassion is ultimately the kryptonite of shame. And so when we can deploy one, we can hopefully uh, get on about the business of becoming who we want to be. Now, what about when others struggle with our growth? Uh, Like I talked about before, don't be surprised, but... And, you know, I've always said that, that what really upsets people is not bad news but surprises. And so the less we can be surprised by things by anticipating when those can happen, then I think maybe it, it lowers the shock value of that a little bit. It makes it a little easier. But in any case, try to view these things from cloud level instead of ground level when you can. Because when, when we're at ground level, we just notice the behavior of the person. And, and if they're being resistant to us, if they're being uh, critical or even hostile towards us, then we're hurt by that. Of course we are because these are people we have relationships with, we care about them. Uh, and so when we engage at that ground level, then we get conflict, we get resentment, we get division. However, when you go up to cloud level, when you can observe this relationship uh, kind of at that meta level, that makes compassion possible. Okay, we don't need permission for personal growth from other people, but when they struggle, compassion for their difficulty can sure help preserve those relationships. Uh, when we can acknowledge that maybe they're going through something, and maybe our attitude towards our personal change does not reflect their attitude towards it, um, and whether they understand it or not, that's irrelevant. If if they're pushing back on that, then you've got a situation. But just remember, their feelings are not your feelings, and boundaries are your friend in that circumstance. And try to notice when others are trying to pull you into old patterns, and it calls on you to set and maintain boundaries. I don't consent to that. It's a terrific statement. It's a powerful statement that it it doesn't have to be. uh, You don't have to incite conflict with that. You can just say, "I'm unwilling to do that anymore." And if it feels like you're getting pulled back in, then sit with it. Be as mindful as possible, and let that cloud level view guide your response. If you can respond instead of react then it helps you reduce conflict, foster curiosity and connection, even when others are struggling with your personal growth. Friends, thanks for being here today. Uh, I am uh, really excited to have you here on board with the show. Uh, I'm happy to bring new ideas to you every week. I'm hoping that you're, you're finding them uh, interesting and helpful. Uh, I want to invite you to check out our, our website, theresilientself.com, there you'll find a lot of great stuff. Uh, of course, there's show notes and, and links to previous episodes because everyone has that. Um, I've also got a lot of written articles, and that's going to be a growing library as well. So there's a lot of shareable content there and just other things that if you like reading uh, in addition to podcasts, then hopefully there's going to be a lot that you find useful there. Of course, there's links to our social, and there are also some ways that you can support the show uh, if, if you would like to uh, get a skin in the game so that we can bring the show to more people, then that, of course, is welcome and appreciated. Thanks to Ted Hammond for our theme music here at the show. You can find Ted's music through links in the show notes on uh, Amazon Music and uh, iTunes, so check out for links for that. Friends, thanks for being here. I'm so happy to have you, and I will see you next time on The Resilient Self. The Resilient Self is a production of Insight Media, LLC. The information presented on the show and at the is intended to educate and entertain and should not be considered as legal medical or psychological advice or as therapy of any kind. The information presented should not be used to diagnose or treat any psychological psychiatric or medical condition. While we make every effort to present accurate and insightful information, the host, guests, and Insight Media LLC make no warranty that the information presented here will be applicable in your situation or location. Opinions expressed in the show do not represent those of Insight Media LLC, their ownership, or employees.